Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and Kala teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Good morning and welcome to this episode of Bodies and Souls. So I was thinking a lot about Tisha B'Av and I think that sometimes it is most beneficial when we go back to the basics. And I want to explore the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa and how we got to um, the gullus that we're in, the very, very dark place we are in. And then why are we still here? What are we supposed to be thinking about? And yes, it's very easy. Yo, we tell our kids the story, Kamsa, Bar Kamsa. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. We, my three-year-old and I, we FaceTimed a relative and she said, oh, let me tell him the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, which is very cute. And she starts off and she says, there was a man named Kamsa who invited his, I was like, no, because sometimes we say stuff so often, we don't think about it. Like it's something that we've heard so often that maybe the details now become mixed up and, you know, things just aren't exactly where they're meant to be anymore. And we don't even think about it. It's just a matter of course, of course, we're telling during this time of year, we're telling the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. So I want to explore the story a little bit deeper. And I think that a lot of the lessons that were um, shared with us then are actually extremely relevant today. Um, I know that they're relevant in my life and in my community, and I'm sure that they're relevant in your lives and in your communities. And I think it's very important for us to think about what it was that the story is all about. So before we start, I want to read to you the story inside, and this is in Gittin, um, and I'm going to tell you what it says. I'm going to read the English. The Gemara explains, Yerushalayim was destroyed on account of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. There was a certain man whose friend was named Kamsa, and whose enemy was named Bar Kamsa. He once made a large feast, and he said to his servants, Go bring me my friend Kamsa. The servant went and mistakenly brought him his enemy, Bar Kamsa. The man who was hosting the feast came and found Bar Kamsa sitting at the feast. The host said to Bar Kamsa, That man is the enemy of that man. What are you doing here? Arise and leave. Bar Kamsa said to him, But I already came. Let me stay, and I will give you money for whatever I eat and drink. Just don't embarrass me by sending me out. The host said to him, no, you must leave. Bar Kamsa said to him, I will give you money for half the feast. Please don't send me away. The host said to him, no, you must leave. Bar Kamsa said to him, I'll give you money for the entire feast. Just let me stay. The host said to him, no, you must leave. Finally, the host took Bar Kamsa by his hand, stood him up, and walked him out. After having been cast out for the feast, Bar Kamsa said to himself, since the Chachamim were sitting there and did not protest the actions of the host, even though they saw that he humiliated me, I understand from this that they agree with what was done. I will then go and inform the government about the Yidin. He went and he said to the emperor, the Jews have rebelled against you. The emperor said to him, who says that this is the case? Barakamsa said to him, go and test them. Send them an offering, a carbon, to be brought in honor of the government and see whether they will sacrifice it. The emperor went and sent him a choice 
three-year-old calf. While Barkamsa was coming with the calf to the base of Mikdash, he made a blemish on the calf's upper lip, and some say this was actually on his eyelids, a place where, according to Halacha, it is a mum, a blemish, and cannot be given for a carbon, but according to the Gayim and their rules for Karbanas, it is not a mum. Therefore, when Barkamsa brought the animal to the base of Mikdash, the Kaihanim, the priests, would not sacrifice it on the Mizbeach since it was blemished. But they also could not explain this to the government who would not consider the animal to have had a mum. So the Chachamim thought, hey, even though it has a mum, being that it, this is coming from the emperor himself, maybe we need to give this carbon in order to maintain peace with the government. And there was a tzaddik, a Chacham, who read Zechariah ben Avkalos, who said to them, if the, if, if the Kaihanim are going to do that, people are going to say that an animal with a mum may be offered as a carbon on the Mizbeach. The Chacham said, if we do not sacrifice it, then we at least have to prevent Bar Kamsa from reporting this to the emperor. The sages thought maybe we should kill him so that he should not go and speak against them. Reb Zechariah said to them, if you kill him, people will say that someone who makes a mum on, an, on a carbon has to be killed. As a result, they did nothing. So Bar Kamsa's slander was accepted by the authorities, and consequently, the war between the Yidin and the Romans began. Rabbi Echanan says, the ex excessive humility of Reb Zechariah ben Avkalos destroyed our temple, burned our sanctuary, and exiled us from the land. So that's a very, very interesting story. So first of all, what's very interesting, um, and is actually the first thing that my kids noticed was, hey, the rich man did the mistake, right? The rich man did this horrible, horrible thing. We don't even mention the rich man. Who are we mentioning? We're mentioning Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Now, a lot of people say this was actually not their name. And if you look in the Agadita, they're called different names altogether. It's very interesting. Why? Kamsa comes from the from a similar word like kaimitz. Kaimitz is, is something that was taken away from the carbon mincha. You separate it. So this is giving to us a message that at that time the people were not united. They they Kamsa and Bar Kamsa represented all of the Yidin and all of their feeling of separateness. They all looked at themselves as an individual, as someone who was important on their own account rather than being part of a larger whole, which is really how we're supposed to look at ourselves, that we are not a person on, on our own um, well-being, and we're not, I shouldn't say well-being, but we're not a person on our own strength. We are, we're giving our strength to the greater good of Hashem and the Tyra and B'nai Yisrael, and we cannot look at ourselves as individuals because we are never individuals as Yedin. Another way to look at this name is Kamsa can come um, is a very similar word to locust in Aramaic. Aramaic, um, the word locust in Aramaic is kamsa, and it also signifies arba. Arba is a swarm. They, they, all the locusts come as a swarm. They were each separate. Each locust is a whole separate entity that creates this larger swarm of locusts, but they're all vested in their own interests. And in that time of the second base of Mingdash, the Yidin really were all not looking at each other as parts of a whole, but rather as individuals that were important by their own merit. And this is this is a fallacy. This is something that's going to break us down. Now, really, let's talk about the time that the Yidin were in. They had the base of Mikdash. They had a beautiful base of Mikdash. It says that the base of Mikdash was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. Why was it destroyed because of Sinas Chinam? 
Yerushalayim was a city of unity. It was all about unity. The second base Megish was all about unity. How did B'nai Yisrael, during a time where there was overabundant light in the area of unity, how did they come to sin with sin as chinam? When Hashem gives us an overabundance of Kedusha, the Zelu'um said the other side, the side that tests us with exactly the reverse of what we are blessed with, comes out even stronger. And so Hashem gave them the Yitzhahara to have such a strong sense of sinas chinam, of hatred, of, of lack of tolerance, lack of kindness for each other. Only so that the Yidin would have Bechir Chavshis. They would be able to have free choice. Because if all you see is unity and all you see is light and all you see is kindness, how can you possibly choose something else? So Hashem says, oh, we have this great intense unity of Am Yisrael. We have this beautiful power. And, and this is a lesson to all of us. When we see a community, when we see ourselves, when we see our family struggling with something, it means that we have the intense ability to rise on that struggle and access a light that is so much greater. So if we're struggling with something, think about what the opposite of that is. What is the opposite of the thing that we're struggling with? And that's what we need to tap into. And it sounds so counterintuitive, but that's how Hashem ensures that we have free choice. So you can always see what what the power that is present in Kedusha by seeing where is our struggle in this moment. So now let's go back to the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. It was very unique, very, very unique that a Yid caused the destruction to other Yidin. The, the Yid was the catalyst to this huge, tremendous, tremendous sad spot in Jewish history that we continue to suffer from until today. If we read the story, it's very interesting that another thing is specified. Where he put the mum. It's a very significant detail, and it says, look, it could either be on his lip or it could be on the eye. Why was it so important that he, it, it could have been written, you know, he created a moment, a way that wasn't um, significant to the guy, but it was significant to the year. Then why did it, the Tyra um, decide that it was imperative that we know where the mom was? And again, this is a point that I think is so relevant to us today. A lot of times we think to ourselves, action, action is what's important. Someone comes to my door, I might think bad thoughts about this poor man who's coming to my door. Maybe, why doesn't he work? Why doesn't he, you know, do something better with his life? Why is he collecting another GoFundMe, another charity? Oh my gosh, what's happening? Um, I could think to myself, you know, he's young, able-bodied, go work. Why am I giving you money? I could close the door and say bad things about him. But I gave tzedakah. Isn't it the action that counts? I still gave my tzedakah. Yeah, the action is important, but Tyra tells us that action is not the only thing that's at, that's where it at. That's where it's at. We have to think: Are we looking at the people around us kindly? Are we thinking a positive perspective about the world around us? Are we looking and speaking kindly to the people around us? So the mum was on the lips. This is not a mum by the Gaim. Through a secular perspective, it's very easy to say your actions are what counts and your actions is where it's at. But Tyra teaches us, no, your speech is super important. Lashen Hara destroys and kindness builds. That's why it's very important how we speak and what we speak and where we speak is so, so important. How we look at the people around us is so important. Are we viewing them with kindness? Are we viewing them with positivity? These are integral parts of what Tyra wants from us. They want there to be no mum in how we're looking and how we're speaking. So this carbon 
comes forward to the base of Mikdash and the Chachamim are not sure what to do with the Karban. They want there to be peace. They know that this is not such a great situation between them and the Romans. And they think to themselves, let's make a compromise. Let's make a compromise so that there should be shalom to protect the Yidin. And Zechariah says, no, don't compromise your values for the world around you. Your values as Yidin have to be unshakable. The Chachamim then say, let's kill him. The very interesting thing is that Halacha, and I know this is going to be a very controversial thing. Um, Halacha says that, yeah, you could kill an informer. They wanted to protect the masses. Look, they knew what was going to happen. And Zachariah again said no. And this brought the destruction. Now think about the time. This was not the time where there was one leader. There was a Sanhedrin. They had multiple leaders. Why didn't anyone in the Sanhedrin stand up and say, Zachariah, what are you doing? Yidin are about to suffer. And, and the truth is, it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But we have to understand throughout this whole story, it was predestined. And when something has to happen, it will happen. And it doesn't have to make sense. The Chachamim couldn't stop it. Hashem took away the ability for us to make to stop this from happening. So what happens? So the message gets back to the Roman emperor and he says, I am destroying the Yidin. The Roman emperor at that time was a man named Nero. Nero came to Yerushalayim and Nero was a, a rather spiritual man. And he said, how do I know I'm supposed to destroy Yerushalayim? So he takes out his arrow and he points in the direction of Yerushalayim and the arrow goes there and he says, oh, it's a sign I should destroy Yerushalayim. But obviously I threw the arrow in the right direction. It's going to go to the right direction. So he turns the opposite direction and he throws the arrow in the opposite direction. Again, the arrow changes course and faces Yerushalayim. He tries all four corners and the arrow consistently goes back to Yerushalayim. So he says, no, and now I know that Yerushalayim has to be destroyed. But how do I know that I should be the one destroying Yerushalayim? Nero was not a stupid man. He saw what happened in history. When Yidin, when when um, someone does something bad, a lot of times they get punished. He didn't know if he should be the messenger. So then, right at that time, he saw a little boy coming out of Yerushalayim, and he says, little boy, tell me what you learned today. And the little boy answered that Hashem says that he will revenge himself on Edom, which is Rome, through uh, by for what they did to Bnei Israel. So meaning, the Romans would destroy Israel, but Hashem would punish them. At that moment, Nero said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. He left. He became Jewish. And what's very interesting is you can go down this rabbit hole if you'd like, is that according to Roman history, Nero went crazy. They take a lot of time to write how Nero went crazy, where Nero went crazy, and that he ultimately committed suicide at 30 years old. This way they can write him off on history. But we know that Nero was Megayer, he became Jewish, and Remeyer, who was one of the greatest Talmudic Chachamim of all time, in fact, in the Gemara, whenever it says Rabbi Aymer, we're talking, or wherever there wasn't, there isn't a, a you know, an attribute, someone that's attributed to, we know that this is Rabbi Meir, um, and he came from Nero as a reward, Hashem gave him a reward for leaving this great, great um, space that he was in, this great covet that he had as emperor, he left us to become a Yid, and basically a nobody. The next person that was sent was Vespasian. Vespasian, um, he laid siege on Yerushalayim for three years. And then after three years, there were three weeks between when he broke the siege and he and he burnt the base of Mikdash. In Yerushalayim at that time, there were three very wealthy people. Nakdiman ben Gurion, Kaba Sabua, and ben Sitsis HaKatsis. Nakdiman ben Gurion has a famous story that's attributed to him. 
um, where Bnei Yisrael were Ayla Laregal, they came to Yerushalayim and they wanted to um, be in Yerushalayim by the Shalash Regalim, but there was no water that year. And Akdimah ben Gurion went to the um, wealthy Gaisha person of the time. I don't know if he was Arab or Roman or whatever. And he said to him, can I have water from your wells? And the man said, sure, but it has to be full when your Yidin leave by a certain date. Um, and it comes to that day and it was a very dry year and the walls remained empty so he he said he sent the messenger to Nakdim he said if by the end of today um you do not fill up my wells I need the money that you promised me and as the day gets closer and closer he starts to celebrate so he goes to the bathhouse and he says yeah I'm going to be very wealthy at the end of the day and he comes out of the bathhouse and it's raining but he turned to, to he sent a message. He said, "Look, but it's dark. It's nighttime." Um, and Akdima ben Gurion, who had gone to Davin to, to that there should be rain, went back to Davin and he said, "I need sun. It has to be sun." So even though it was actually the time of nighttime, the sun came back out, and he was a very, very, very wealthy man who obviously had a lot of schosim. And Hashem gave him a lot of brachas. The second person in Yerushalayim who was extremely wealthy at the time was a man named Kalba Sabua. Kalba Sabua, we know, was the father-in-law of Rabbi Akiva. Kalba Sabua was such a wealthy man that anyone who came into them who was hungry as a dog would leave satiated. And then there was a man, a very eccentric man, who was actually part of the Roman parliament of the time, Bensitis Hakatsis. Bensitis Hakatsis was um, a man who would have his servants hold up his sitis on little like cushions so that they shouldn't touch the ground. And he was also very wealthy. So these three people also were very uh, Erlicha people. They were people to Yerushalayim. And they said, they came together and they said, look, we're under siege. We don't know how long the siege is going to last. Um, but we know that eventually Ibn Israel will do tshuva. One said, I have enough of, of oil, and one said, I have enough of barley, and one said, basically, they had enough food for 21 years. And they thought to themselves, in those 21 years, Emir Tashem, B'nai Yisrael will do tshuva, right? You would think, uh, children grow up in 20 years. Uh, you know, a new generation comes up, they make better choices than us. They had enough to sustain B'nai Yisrael for 21 years. Can you imagine? But at that time, there were also people called Beryanim. Beryanim were the zealots. If you look in history, it always talks about the zealots, and they burnt down these these storehouses. What was the problem with the zealots? It's very interesting. If you look at the story of the zealots, is that they were actually extremely strong people, and they were able to overcome the Romans logically and through um, the laws of nature. They should have been able to do it. But they, they were not connected to a Rav. They didn't have Das Taira. They were they wanted to do things Lashem Shemayim, but without Das Taira. They had no guidance. Sometimes in today's day and age, we also feel like, why do I need it? I can read Halakha. I can read um, Taira. I don't need to consult with a Mashbiya. I don't need to consult with a Rav. I don't need a Rebbe. I don't need, like, how many shows do you know that don't have a Rav? Such a common thing. How many times do you think people say to themselves, I know what Hashem wants for me. I'm going to do. I, I'm an Erel Chayyid. I'll do what I have to do. I won't consult with the Aztara. These zealots wanted to protect B'nai Yisrael, but the Chachamim told them, no, let's make peace with Rome. And they said, logically, according to the laws of nature, there's no problem fighting with Rome. We, they made a very, very accurate assessment, and they said we could win Beteva. We could win according to the, the laws of nature. But the Chavim said, Israel can't win because there's too many Averis. Hashem doesn't want us to win. 
And so because they were so sure that they would win, they burnt all the food and then the Yidin really started suffering. If they would have listened, perhaps there would have been a very, very different outcome. Tonight, as you go closer to reading Eicha, tomorrow when you're going to be reading Eicha, think about what are the themes in the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa and the beginning of the destruction of the base of Mikdash. We have to think to ourselves, are we unified? Do we think of ourselves as an individual? Do our opinions matter more than the opinions of what's good for the nation? Are we the most important thing in the room? How is our speech? How is our perspective? How are we looking at the people around us? Are we listening to what Hashem wants us? And at the end of the day, I will say this, I see this so, so um, clearly in my own life. The more that we are aligned with what Hashem wants of us, the more we are aligned with what our topic in the world is, the more we are content and the more we are happy because that's who we really are. We really are good people. We are really are connected to Hashem and we really, in our essence, want to do what Hashem wants. And the things that divide us and the things that separate us is usually not coming from a place that is authentic to who we are. It's coming from the outside parts of us, the parts that want us to feel divided. And if you feel that you're in a situation where you are divided and you're separated, think about what that means. That means that there's tremendous power in that space for tremendous unity and tremendous holiness and tremendous positivity. So in this time of the year, let's try to connect to that and let's really work on ourselves to really bring as much ahavas chinam un un mitigated and and radical love and radical kindness to everyone around us so that we are ultimately connected with Hashem in the most true way possible with the coming of Mashiach to Kenu. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Hazan David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.